Dr. David Perlmutter here. Welcome to The Empower Neurologist. Our guest today is my longtime friend, Dr. Leo Galland. Uh, you may know of Dr. Galland. He's written a number of really terrific books. He's written a lot of research papers, continues a very active practice in New York. But Dr. Galland has written a book that is certainly quite different from his previous works, and this book is called Already Here. Already Here is a story a true story uh, about the death of Dr. Gallen's son, Christopher, who died at age 22 and provided Dr. Gallen with direct visual evidence that our souls do go on. And from the communications he received from Christopher's spirit that dramatically changed Dr. Gallen's life, uh, we're going to hear the, the narrative today. In life, Christopher was a brain damaged special needs child who challenged everyone he knew with his unpredictable behavior and uncanny insights, and after his death, he revealed to Dr. Gallen the real purpose of life as a spiritual guide who taught others by confounding their assumptions and their expectations. He began to share with Dr. Gallen a new perspective on everything from uh, the nature of good and evil to the concept of timelessness, God's moment, uh, to the notion that the universe is fundamentally an act of love. Christopher's wisdom was revealed to Dr. Gallen over the course of a year and it coalesced uh, into three themes which Dr. Gallen calls the gift of the opposite, the gift of the presence, and the gift of timelessness. Dr. Gallen quickly came to realize that these gifts were not just for himself alone. They contain uh, ancient wisdom held sacred in many traditions that Christopher intended him to share with others, hence the book. He wrote this book under Christopher's direction to do just this. Uh, Dr. Gallen is an international best-selling author and a very respected scholar. He's a global leader in integrative medicine and functional medicine, functional nutrition. He has received the Linus Pauling Award, awarded from the Institute for Functional Medicine for creating basic principles of functional medicine and the Marquis Lifetime Achievement Award for contributions to healthcare from Marquis Who's Who. He is the author of five popular books and several dozen scientific articles, as well as chapters in well-respected textbooks. He is a fellow of the American College of Physicians and the American College of Nutrition. Dr. Gallen received his education at Harvard University and New York University School of Medicine and he is listed in Leading Physicians of the World and America's Top Doctors. So I'm very much looking forward to hearing uh, this incredible story that Dr. Gallen describes in this book. So let's turn to our interview now. Well, hello, Dr. Gallen. How are you, my friend? It's so good to be talking to you today. I'm great. I, I again want to, as I mentioned in the introduction, Gosh, we've known each other a long, long time, so many years of, uh, you know, from the early days of integrative and functional medicine to here we are now. Uh, in the intro, I talked about uh, all your great works, your five books, and New York Times bestseller, selling author, etc. But um, this book, and uh, more importantly, the contents, I, I think many of us who've known you for a long time would say, who knew? Uh, I had no idea about this. So... Um, you know, all of our viewers now are, are tuned in to what, what this is all about. So, but I would like you to walk us through uh, the, you know, what tip of why uh, Christopher was so special, uh, unique, 
and then how the events transpired as he passed and, and what happened after that. Right. Well, just, let me just say to begin with that the reason, the only reason I wrote this book, the foundation for everything, is what happened at the time of Christopher's death and shortly thereafter. Otherwise, I don't think I would have believed what was going on. And um, he was hiking, he was walking with friends in the Berkshires, probably had a seizure, drowned in two inches of water. We were in New York, call came into my office. We just had lunch with one of our other sons, actually, one of Chris's brothers. And so my wife was coming to the office after lunch. The call came in. We were sitting, waiting for news because he was being resuscitated in an emergency room. And the feeling, you're just, the air weighs about a thousand pounds. You are so powerless. This is 150 miles away. And all of a sudden, the room filled with this intense white light. And you're seeing it with your mind, not your eyes. And Chris, Christina, my wife and I had exactly the same vision. We saw Christopher as a being rising up, beautiful, powerful, free, blissful, uh, as the source of the light. He was there for just a few moments, and then he was gone. The phone was ringing. ER doctor's on the phone. Hey, we can't resuscitate him. Of course, we knew that. We just saw something that told us he was free. That was very powerful uh, and amazing. I mean, I've never seen, I've never experienced anything with that energy and triumph and and um, joy that's been that extreme before or since. Then, but that was just the first sign. Three days later, we buried him in the Berkshires, um, so he would be with the community that he'd been with, and we released 22 balloons at his graveside. The next day, we're driving home. We're coming into Columbus Circle, uh, which had a special significance because it was Christopher Columbus. They shared the same name. And I used to joke with Christopher and call him Cristofero, and he would laugh at the name that, at the sound that gave his name. All of a sudden, a yellow balloon drops out of the sky, hovers right in front of our car, and disappears. It doesn't disappear, it kind of hovers and then moves on. We couldn't get to it. I wanted to grab it, but it was out of reach. And the thing about this balloon is, the balloons that I'd released at the, at the graveside, I'd had to cut free from a sandbag, so they had very short, like 12 inch frayed yellow ribbons attached. So did this balloon. This was clearly one of the balloons that we released at the graveside, and here it was at Columbus Circle in New York a day later. Now, there were three kids in the back seat, and to them it was, yeah, of course Christopher sent that. I mean, what could be more natural? Uh, but to my wife and I, it was absolutely mind boggling. That was the beginning. That, I mean, once you realize that the soul is immortal, then it begins to change the equation on everything. Now, what was special about Christopher is he was brain damaged at birth. He was 22 years old at the time of his death. And he was just, he was a handful in more ways than one. I mean, he was always difficult to control. He was 
he could be charming and funny and full of insight and sometimes brilliant, but he could be impossible and make you just want to scream. Um, and that's the way he lived his life. And, and what I realized was what Chris most loved in, loved in life was interacting with other people. And he would do anything to get a reaction from anybody. I mean, that, that was his way of being. Now, several years later, um, after this happened, I didn't have any more encounters with Christopher. I, I kept trying to relive those moments. I wondered what had happened to him, but nothing happened. Several years later, he kind of re-entered my consciousness in the way he had before as a being, as someone other than my memory of the flesh and blood boy that he was. And um, actually, one of the first encounters happened at the um, while I was at the second um, functional medicine symposium in Palm Springs. And I talk about that in the book, not at the symposium, but in the desert behind the hotel. And he and one night he woke. I woke up and his voice was saying, you need to tell my story. And so as I spent about a year trying to decide how I would tell about, talk about Christopher's life and these experiences, I began having these silent dialogues with him. They were very unpredictable. They were, um, they didn't seem to follow any pattern. They were very random. Um, but he said amazing things to me. And, and the longer they went on, the more and more amazing they got. And so when I sat down to put this together into a book, I saw a pattern. And I realized that Christopher was telling me things that really fit, coalesced into three themes, which I called gifts. The first one I call the gift of the opposite. Um, the second is the gift of presence. And the third is the gift of timelessness. Now, presence is the easiest thing to wrap your head around. Uh, and there's a lot that's been written about it. It's being fully present now at all times. And Christopher actually lived his life that way. The gift of the opposite is, in many ways, the most subtle and intriguing. Um, and I realized that that was Christopher's way of being. I mean, he was always looking for the opposite, and he was bringing out the opposite in people. Um, but the opposite is really the basic organizing principle of our universe. Everything contains its opposite at all times. And in fact, virtually everything that I wrote about in the book, it contains its opposite. My relationship with Christopher alone is full of opposites. I mean, I didn't write this book as an expert. I wrote it as a scribe just trying to communicate messages from a being that I realized was really way more advanced than I was. But in life, this being was dependent on me. He was a brain-damaged, developmentally disabled child. I mean, what could be more opposite than that? Um, and, um, and, and in fact, what I realized after the you know, the book had the final copy of the book had gone to press was what I really wanted from this was not for people to necessarily understand Christopher, but to be able to find the Christophers in their own lives. Because we all have people like Christopher in our lives, people who are in pain, or damaged in some way, or just 
outsiders, people we'd like to ignore. And we can learn so much from them. Um, that I think is on a practical level, the greatest message of the book. And, and what Christopher taught me is a path to being able to find other Christophers. Now, the gift of timelessness is absolutely the hardest for me to wrap my head around. And I have a whole chapter trying to, trying to figure out what does that mean in the context of the universe? Of course, Einstein said, past, present, and future are illusions, and physicists know they don't exist. So, um, you know, Christopher was right. He was right up there with Einstein on that judgment. Now, you know, there's, uh, it looks as if in, in looking at the book that uh, there are various passages here. I'm actually going to, there's several I was, I was going to read, but uh, that you've, you're a changed person uh, for this experience, that's for sure. Yeah, well, you know, I, I started out, although I've, opened, I've always been very open-minded and a problem solver and someone who likes to think outside the box, I basically, I basically viewed the world in physical terms, biochemical terms. That is, we have, we have a, our bodies, we have nutrition, we have this physical world, and consciousness comes out of that. That just made sense to me. What I began to realize, uh, as, soon as, you, as soon as you know that there is an immortal soul, that begins to change it. And I began to realize, the more I tried to understand Christopher's message, that actually I probably had it backwards. That consciousness is what's primary. And that the, the universe itself depends upon human consciousness. That, that would seem crazy to me, but it actually makes way more sense when I consider... You know, it's intriguing to me how you, how you came to that uh, discussion with me right at this moment, because here's your quote. I always believe that existence led to consciousness. First came the world, and then we found our place in it. Uh, even the Bible seems to agree. In the beginning, God created he the heavens and the earth. Adam and Eve came, came later. Um, so it really is the, the notion of our perception and awareness, I think, that, that what you're saying is the genesis of, of reality of the universe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly quantum physics is, has reached that conclusion. Um, the the way that I came to it was by Christopher's description of the relationship between heaven and earth. And that was in our last conversation. It was after um, one of the people, one of the, our friends who had sung at Christopher's funeral was killed by a speeding taxi cab about six years after Christopher died and while I was working on this book. And so I went in... I was really upset, and I asked, I said, how do I even make sense of this, Christopher? You helped me understand your death. I don't understand Peter's. It makes no sense. So we went into a long dialogue in which he explained a number of things to me, and um, what came out of it was kind of mind-boggling, really. The way that he described the relationship 
the reason that we're here, the relationship between heaven and earth, God and humans, or the divine power in humans, is that the universe, where does it start? God is loving. God is love. Not that God loves. God is not some separate being that loves the universe. That love is God. This is what this is the force that is creating the universe. It is the force of love. The, the terms I use were the universe is actually an act of love. And the role of matter is that matter allows separation. And in order to have love, you need separation. You know, love exists among, among beings, between one being and another. So you need separation and you need otherness. Matter allows that to occur. That's why the universe, as a physical universe, is essential to God. There is no God without that. But the love, the, that power is so intense, it is so great, that it cannot be contained by matter. It, it's, it's what I saw at the moment of Christopher's death. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's clearly supernatural. It's um, astonishing in its intensity. Matter can't contain it. You described your interactions with Christopher as being visitations. And over what period of time did those occur? Well, um, pretty much a year, I would say, from the time that I woke up during the night being told, you have to tell my story, um, until... Uh, even a little bit before that, even there, there was this exper experience I had flying over the Grand Canyon that started it, and Peter died a year later. And it was after my that final conversation at the time of Peter's death, Christopher said to me, well, I've told you everything you need to know. That was it. The visitations ended. My homework did not end. It went on for decades. That is, uh, reminds me of the, of the section in the book where you talk, uh, you quote from Siddhartha, about you've got your lessons now, it's basically, now you've got to act. Yeah, now you've right. got to do the homework. That's, I think, what you're referring to. So uh, here we are a long time down the road, and now you've written the book. I don't mean to be rude. What took you so long? Why now? <laughs> well, actually, I wrote the book 25 years ago. So what took me so long was to decide to get it published. And, and I really didn't quite know what to do with it. You know, 25 years ago, which was about the time I was meeting you, I mean, I think, um, in fact, my wife, Christina, remembers your talk on mitochondria at Aspen. <laughs> she says, oh, yeah, I remember that talk. So um, I think that's the first time. I, I remember that talk <laughs> uh, because I, I made the mistake of getting to Aspen from Florida and lecturing first thing in the morning. But before I lectured, uh, I went and exercised at whatever thousands of feet altitude it was. <laughs> and I, behind the lectern during the middle of my lecture, I had to put my head down to keep myself from passing out. And then I luckily did. Nobody knows that, but that's no, how close right. we didn't. We didn't catch that. In no, fact. but in those days, we were lecturing from carousel slides with 35 right. millimeter uh, slides. Yes. I remember that. Um, but that said, so there is, um, I think, in, in uh, your desire at this point uh, to connect with the reader and to portray in, uh, an important or a series of important messages. And what would that be? What would the messages be? 
Um, okay. Well, the first message is that um, is one of transcendence. That is, our physical bodies don't determine who we are. We are much greater than what we appear to be. We are not contained by our physical bodies. We exist even when there is no body. We can be strong and powerful and full of grace even if our bodies are broken. Um, that um, the power that drives the universe is the power of love. It is the power of love for the other. And the source of all evil, Christopher explained to me, was hatred of otherness. He described it as a crime against God. And um, I, I think those are really important things to understand and feel in your heart at this time. Hatred of otherness, hatred of the apartedness of that which is not familiar or even myself. Yes, exactly. I mean, he was really explicit about that. J.J. Virgin sent uh, an email around uh, asking uh, people what, not as what, what is your New Year's resolution, but what do you plan to focus on in, in, in the year moving ahead? And I, and I was there. I said, you know, um, I want to get away from the me and focus on the we. Because so much of what we do, you know, we write our books about our thoughts. But, but truly, it's about the connection to all that's around us that really matters the most. And I really think that your message is very, very timely as we look around um, and see what's going on in the world right now, uh, where people are focused on retracting and focusing on themselves, more egocentric, uh, as opposed to really exploiting that prefrontal cortex and wanting to reconnect. Right. And the connectedness, it's the, it's the connectedness that's important. That is, the connection is the energy of the universe. That is what is driving the universe. It is not each of us as separate beings somehow finding connection. The connection is there. And, it, and yes, and, and for us as individuals, our job is to find our place in it. Where do we fit into this connecting? I, I, I want to ask you um, the title already here. Uh, what does that mean? Well, that came about because of my last conversation with Christopher. And it was one that surrounded Peter's death. And at some point, and actually that's one that happened in my kitchen. I wasn't in any special place. Most of the discussions, you know, we, we were like in the desert in Palm Springs or walking on the beach on Long Island or someplace. And, and I was always alone. This one, I was just in the kitchen. And I, I said, well, Chris, what's it like in heaven? I don't know why I hadn't asked him that in a year, but I hadn't. And he said, and there was this real joy in this voice that I heard in my head. Um, it's what I always wanted. Everybody is here. Everyone, even you. Well, and your response, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, was uh, uh, was Adolf Hitler there, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I said, I, I said, wow, that's amazing. I mean, everyone's there. What about the evil ones? What about Adolf Hitler? And and, and I felt this kind of coldness, and and it was like this evil wind was blowing. And so Christopher explained the origins and nature of evil to me, and and then he said. 
I can't say, oh, so he said, believe it or not, even they have perfect selves. Their tor eternal torment is the schism in their souls that no love can heal. Because what they have done in, the, in their lives is to subvert the purpose of existence. The purpose of our existence is to manifest love. And those people who willfully turn against others and manifest hate, they are subverting the purpose of their existence. And he called them pitiful souls. And then he said, I can't say that that detracts from our joy because it was always that way and it always will be. And that was really depressing to me. And I kind of, because, you know, I'm kind of perfectionistic and I'm always trying to make things better. And I kind of retreated to my study and Chris tried to comfort me and he said, um, you know, Leo, you, you know how you like to tell stories about all the quirky, crazy things I did when I was alive? Well, around here, a lot of us like to talk about you and how you were always trying to get everything right. And he said, like, lighten up. You're already here. So that was the origin of the title. And, and it is an amazing concept of the relationship between heaven and earth. That is, heaven is not after earth. This is all happening in one moment, God's moment, the eternal present. That's a powerful message. Yeah. Um, I was uh, thinking of my next question, uh, but I was knocked off my feet a little bit there. <laughs> sure. And that was that you were not alone in the visitation. I mean, I recall at one point that your son Jordan, I think, uh, comforted your wife by saying, uh, talking about Christopher, saying that he was fine. So others, I think, were experiencing the interaction as well. Oh, yeah. He, um, Jordan and Christina definitely experienced the interaction. The, the vision of Christopher's spirit at the moment of his death, that's something that Christina and I had together. We saw, we saw exactly the same thing. We compared notes. Jordan and two of his friends, actually Peter's sons, were present in the car when the balloon dropped down. I mean, that was, that was not like a vision. And, and it's right that was there just on the normal. cover right there. Yeah, so. right, right. They didn't quite get the string on the balloon right, but I couldn't get them. The it was art supposed department to be yellow and 12 inches long, was, as I recall, right, right? Right, But the art department preferred this. <laughs> so I told them, I said, hey, that's not really what it looked like. But um, Take but it easy, Mr. The Perfectionist. Well, yeah. what, what would Christopher <laughs> right. say? Yeah, lighten up. Lighten up. <laughs> Well, um, listen, um, I, uh, again, will reiterate, um, you know, a lot of us would say who knew, and I didn't know all, that this had all transpired, but I'm delighted to know about it now. Uh, it's, it's nothing but positive and reinforcing, and um, on many levels, I think for all of us to take a breath, for all of us to appreciate what truly binds us to one another, and uh, I think, again, as I mentioned before, you know, the, the timeliness of, of this uh, couldn't be better in this world. So, so I appreciate you sharing your time with us today, Dr. Gallon. You are the best. Oh, David, I so love you and I am so grateful that you're my friend and so grateful that you decided to have me talk about this. Um, and Christopher, I know, is very happy because if there's anything he wanted to do, it was to somehow 
ping another person and say, hey, notice this. Pay attention to that. You may think this way, but it's really that way. And I have loads of examples of that in the book. Um, so thank you. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Well, we'll talk soon. Uh, I'm hoping to get up to New York. And if I do, I'll make sure we can get together. Absolutely. I'd love it. Okay. Bye for now. This is a very compelling story. Again, here's the book already here, available everywhere, available on Amazon, uh, telling the story of what Dr. Gallen has learned from his deceased son, Christopher. Um, wonderful information in this book. Uh, what a wonderful interview it was today. And again, as I mentioned during the interview, I had no idea. I've known Dr. Gallen for more than two decades. And uh, I had no idea uh, of these issues that he has experienced. So I hope you enjoyed today's program. Thank you for joining us. I'm Dr. David Perlmutter. Bye for now.